Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. We're going to, thank you very much, Sister Man. We're going to go ahead and get started. Now, if you could go ahead and find your way back to your seats. And as you make your way to your seats, if you do me a favor, and we'll go ahead and stand this morning. And as you are standing, if you have your Bible or you're going to be looking on the screen, this morning we're going to be coming from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, beginning at chapter 31. Chapter 31, we'll be starting at verse 31. So the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning at verse 31. And as always, it is definitely um, good to see everyone in the house today. The temples are back, and Stephen and Marge, it's good to see you guys. Hope you guys had a great time. You guys had a great time. I thought you were crazy going to Europe, but uh, you're back, and I'm glad you are. I'm glad you are. Good to see you. And before we really get into this thing today, I'm also glad that Pastor and Sister Valerie are back. And um, it's good for them to get away, but it's, it's also good for them to, to get back. It's good for us to see them. Um, and we, of course, love them and are glad that they are back. And just give honor to Pastor for opening up this opportunity, this time, and this space for me to speak to you this morning. So if you're there, Jeremiah chapter 31, say, I got it. Anybody not there need a few more seconds? Oh, Bo, yes, Bo always needs a few more seconds. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31, the Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the land, excuse me, that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was and husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts or their minds and write it in their hearts. And will be their God, and they shall be my people. Finally, verse 34, it says, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And actually, I want to turn to... uh, the book of Acts chapter 2 this morning also. It's going to be a little bit of uh, reading today, a lot of scripture this morning. So book of Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 1. And the Bible says that, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And it appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Slip a little bit further down to verse 38. Bible says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. Before you see it this morning, can we just uh, lift our hands and lift our voices unto the Lord right now and just ask him to, to bless this time we have together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity. One more day, Lord Jesus, with you in your word to, to grow, Lord God, and just to learn. I, 
I thank you for being so good to us, Lord God, and we trust you in every way. We trust you in every opportunity. We trust you in every moment, Lord God. With every breath, Lord God, you give the breath, and we trust you to sustain the breath, Lord God. I pray that whatever the word is today, Lord Jesus, that it will be revealing to us, Lord God, that it would clarify some things. If we have questions today, Lord God, let us leave with all the answers, Lord God. If we have doubts, let the doubt be removed, Lord Jesus. Whatever fear, Lord God, let fear be removed, Lord Jesus. But I pray you to bless the word and bless the time together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. So I already said that this morning we are going to have a little bit of, of scripture, scriptures this morning. I try to give everyone time to turn to them, but uh, at the least I'll give you the scriptures for those of you who are, who are taking notes. But I do know that a lot of content this morning, I I got to move and not get kind of bogged down today as sometime uh, I seem to find myself in that position. All right. So for the time this morning that we have to share, I really just want to talk about a simple topic this morning, uh, a new covenant, a new covenant. And we, we, we read about that. We, we kind of looked at it a little bit in Jeremiah chapter 31 in the verses we read. So this morning we'll talk about a new covenant covenant. And new does sound good, right? The thought of new can be very appealing. The thought of making something new, buying something new, even receiving something new, right? I'm sure for, for a lot of us, not most of us, you know, elicits mm, uh, fond memories, right? Something new. But there, but there are some of us in the room right now that the thought of something new, right, it didn't necessarily bring up uh, good memories or, you know, a uh, fuzzy feeling, all right? Um, it didn't, all right? But somebody in here thought maybe about the, the new car, all right? Who once got a new car? You were so happy, but the new car just brought along with it some new problems. You got it right in time for 635 at the pumps, all right? <laughs> you got it just in time for that, right? It costs a little bit more for the oil change now, so you got a new car, but you got some new problems. Some of you might have thought about the new neighbor. You were so happy the day the moving truck came. But then after that, it was new drama, right? New drama. Some of you, yeah, you got that new job, but then really you start to think about, yeah, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So new can be good, but new sometimes isn't always good. And, and some of us, we know that guy. Remember that guy, the new emperor? He wanted some new clothes. If you know the story, you know that uh, nobody wanted to see that. So new doesn't always mean good. And if you don't know, later. Google later. Emperor's new clothes. Good story. Good story. So really, the, the, only time, the only time that we can be guaranteed that something new is going to be good is, is really when it comes from the Lord. So that's the only time the guarantee of new is good because if it comes from the Lord, the Bible says it's right and it's good. All right? God gives us new, and when he does, it's, it's right on time. Because the new thing that he does is exactly what we need. Right, when, when God does a new thing, he seals it with his word. Right? Proverbs 22 and, and 10 says, The blessing of the Lord, it, it maketh rich, and, and he doesn't add any sorrow to it. So a lot of times we get something new, and we start to cry about that thing. It might not have come from God. I'm not saying it didn't, but the Bible does say he has no sorrow to it. All right, so if we're getting, sometimes we're very happy for a new thing, and then it turns out that it wasn't the good thing for us because sometimes we didn't maybe listen uh, to the Lord, and we sometimes made a bad decision, right? It wasn't exactly what he wanted for us. It wasn't what he wanted for us. Because when he blesses us, all right, there's no sorrow that comes with it. So in the opening text this morning in Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, verse 31, the Lord was going to make, the Bible says, a new covenant with his people. And we read it said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 32 tells us why the Lord was going to make this new covenant. The Bible says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband." A husband unto them, saith the Lord. So the Lord said, yeah, I, I had a covenant, but they, they keep breaking the covenant. 
All right, so I, I, I need a new covenant. I need to do something different. I need to do something different. So the Lord, through the prophet Jeremiah here, is relaying to the people that he has been very much good to them. He brought them out of Egypt, provided every need with blessing after blessing, but the people just couldn't seem to get right. And really, as I was preparing, a thought came to my mind and said, doesn't this sound familiar? Because such were some of us, right? Just couldn't seem to get our acts right, right? We're trying, we try. The, the blessings of the Lord are always there. But for us, we just seem to sometimes, sometimes not, not measure up to what is expected of us. The people just couldn't seem to get right. Um, you know, and, and, and we're sitting here in this building this morning, a beautiful building. Uh, but I know I've got some honest folks. I already saw some, some, some heads nodding, so I know I've got some honest folks who can admit readily. Uh, Angelita pointed to herself. I saw it. Some honest folks who can honestly admit that you know, he's still working on me. Right? <laughs> In no way am, am I perfect. Right? He's still working on me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, it says, Know ye not that the righteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Here's the list, y'all. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But, but pastor, here's the hope. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. Right? Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's the hope, ladies and gentlemen. That's the hope that, that we cling to this morning. That's the hope that Pastor was talking about. That's why he had his turn, right, to outside of here. That's why we want our guests today to feel that hope, to know that, yeah, there's a promise. There's a promise that you haven't grasped yet, but it's, it's there for you. It's there for you. So you and I, you and I are why God created this new covenant. You and I are why he created this covenant. It began, right, it's Genesis was with the children of Israel, but they kept breaking the old covenant. And I already said it, God knew that we would fall into the same cycle. We would fall into the trap of the same cycle. So in his infinite wisdom, he declared, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to make a new covenant. And this is where I really want to focus in for a little bit. In Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning verse 33 through 34, it says, But this shall be the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and again, in their minds, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. It says from the least to the greatest. Everybody, saith the Lord, for I will forgive. Here's the hope again. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah tried to talk sense into the people. He spoke of the, uh, well, to the corruption of the leaders. He spoke of the social injustice. Time and time again, he warned of the danger of their sin and their idolatry. He warned them, Jeremiah tried to warn them about the Babylonians. He talked about the people from the north who would come and conquer, but, but no one wanted to listen. No one wanted to listen to the, to the man of God, but in, 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 in chapter 31 of, of Jeremiah, that's exactly where we are. All right, exactly where we were, exactly where he said they would be. Because we find that Jerusalem, we find that uh, Jerusalem is once again ravaged and the temples in ruins and God's people captive once again. Everything that Jeremiah tried to warn them of came to pass. He is a prophet. He is the man of God. To break the cycle, God needed to establish a new thing. And again, we're talking about the, a new covenant this morning. So in Hebrews chapter 6, 
The Bible actually talks about a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6, it says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But again, we know that the old covenant couldn't quite get what God needed. He needed a new covenant. So we've been talking for a little bit now, but we haven't really said what covenant is. And covenant is really easy. It's, it's just an agreement. It's just an agreement. And there in Hebrews chapter 6, that, that Greek word, diatheke, D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E, that word there simply means contract. And the word we've been using in Jeremiah, that Hebrew word for covenant in Jeremiah 31 is bereath. And that is B-E-R-E-E-T-H. And there that means, it means uh, to cut, that root word there, to cut. And, and in the culture of the Bible, covenant carried a lot of weight. It really was a serious matter. And often, if you entered into covenant or agreement with someone, right, it was often cut or sealed in blood, usually the blood of some sort of um, animal. The Jewish people were not unfamiliar with covenants. So really quickly, I want to look at four significant covenants that are mentioned in the Old Testament. So the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the uh, Mosaic covenant, and the uh, Davidic, Davidic covenant. So first that Noahic covenant, N-O-H, correct, yeah, N-O-A-H-I-C, Noahic covenant. God made a covenant with Noah that he would never destroy the earth by means of flood. Again, again. Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 8, and again, I said it would be a little bit of reading today. So Genesis chapter 9, verse, beginning at verse 8, Bible says, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, and behold, I establish my covenant with you, that your seed after you, sorry, and with your seed after you, verse 10, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of the beasts of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there be any more a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 12, and God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you the perpetual for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. Verse 14, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of, the, of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. So that's a covenant. And verse 16, actually, uh, you know what? We're good. Um, so that's the first that's the first covenant there, the Noahic covenant. That's just between God and Noah saying, look, I'm not going to destroy the, the earth by flood, by flood again. All right. We move to the Abrahamic covenant. And the Lord makes covenants with Abraham saying, look, I'm going to make you a great nation. Just right. Genesis chapter 12, beginning of verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Further on, the Lord makes, uh, tells Abraham that he will be a father of many nations. Genesis chapter 17, beginning at verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. 
Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings will come out of thee. Verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Finally, verse 9, and God said unto Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. So God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you... Um, a great nation, and I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Third covenant, the Mosaic covenant, this is between God and Moses, and really God and the children of Israel, saying that they would be a holy nation, literally treasured among all people. And we find this in Exodus chapter 19, beginning at verse 6. The Bible says, now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the earth is mine. And verse 6 of Exodus 19, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words where thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And finally, the Davidic covenant. God told David that his seed would be blessed, and through his family, God's kingdom would be established forever. And the promised Messiah would come through this lineage of King David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning at verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Finally, verse 17, according to all these words and according to this vision, so did Nathan speak to David. The thing about these covenants, the thing about these coven covenants is we're, we're entering into agreement with the Lord. And really all we have to do is be obedient. All we have to do is follow what God has asked us to do. And all these promises will be unto us. That's what we have to do, just be obedient. But that's what was happening with the children of Israel. They were unable to maintain their obedience. And that's what happens with us when we break covenant with the Lord. We're unable or unwilling in, in some instances to remain obedient to the Lord. So that obedience is going to be key to these promises being fulfilled. Because when God enters into covenant with us, he's establishing his word from that moment. So when the covenant is broken, it's not because God changed his mind. It's not because he uh, changed what he wanted or what he planned. It's, it's on us. See, there's a great responsibility and a heavy weight upon us with the maintenance of the covenant and the fulfillment of these promises. I know sometimes we get mad, we get frustrated, and we, we say, God, why? We try to put it on God, and he's looking at us like, what? I'm doing what I said I was going to do. I didn't change. I didn't change, and he didn't, and he hasn't, and he never will. He never will. So we're the ones that, that are wavering, right, at times. We're the ones that are wavering, not, not God. He's not wavering in his word. He's not wavering in his promise, says, but, but we are. See, time and time again, the children of Israel would indeed break covenant with God. They would do what? Same thing we do. 
follow their own plans, make up <laughs> their own rules, right? Um, and a lot of times we would see, we think about the, the Ten Commandments, you know, that was a covenant with God. didn't read that uh, necessarily here. But um, the, uh, the covenants will be written on, on stone tablets or they will, be, they will be written on scrolls and uh, not in our hearts, which is why Jesus said in Jeremiah, look, I, got, I must switch this thing up. I'm, I, I got to write this thing on their hearts. I got to put it on their inward parts because right now it's, it's, it's being outside of them, something, something's messing up. All right. He didn't mess up. We know he's he's perfect. Right. But but he's going to adjust something for our good, for our benefit, because when he does something, it's going to it's for our good. Remember, we talked about that. So in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 19, Exodus 32 and 19, again, I talked about it, that the covenants were written on stones and they could be easily broken and and discarded. And again, that was part of our problem. The Bible says, and it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, speaking of Moses, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger right, waxed hot. He got angry, and he cast the tablets out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. So sometimes these covenants were written on stone tablets, and we can, we can break them. And sometimes because they're written on stone tablets or on scrolls, we can even hide them away. We can put them away and sometimes forget about them. We forget about them. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, At that time the Lord said unto me, Hew two stones of tables of stone like unto the first, and come up unto me in the mount, and make thee an art of shittim wood, and I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And thou shalt put them in the ark. And I make an ark of shittim wood and hewed two stones, two tables of stone like unto the first and went up into the mount having the two tables in mine hand. And he wrote on the tables according to the first thing the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them unto me. Finally, verse 5, and I turned myself and came down from the mount and put the tables in the ark, which I made, and there they be, as the Lord commanded me. Now, again, the Lord did command him, as he says here, but again, that was part of what we were seeing. The tablets, we break them, we get mad. We, we, we put them away, um, and maybe they're not as um, close to us as uh, we need them to be. Maybe they're not, they don't become as, as relevant or as significant as we need them to be because it's out of sight, out of mind. Again, hence the new covenant, God now dwelling on the inside of us, a little harder to put that away, a little harder to separate ourselves from the Lord if he's dwelling within us, which is his new, which is his intention with the new covenant. The sacrificial system of the old covenant could only cover our sin and our guilt. But the new covenant would bring forgiveness that is so complete that God doesn't even remember our sins. We read that he would, he would forgive our iniquity and Forgive, forget, forgive our iniquity and forget our sin. The new covenant brings in inner transformation. Remember, right? He's gonna, he's gonna put it on their inward parts. We talked about it, our minds, and again, write it in our hearts. That inner transformation. Romans 12 and 2 says, and be not conformed right, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and that uh, acceptable and perfect will of God. This new covenant was to be personal and one-on-one. -on -one. It will be written on our hearts by the finger of the Spirit, not chisels onto stone tablets or written onto scrolls. The covenant would be new, but not the relationship. The relationship would be the same because God knows us and, and we know him. So the relationship wouldn't be different, just the covenant. I mentioned it before, but, but we are the ones, again, who waver in our faithfulness. But God is forever steadfast in his 
faithfulness towards us. So the, the words of Jeremiah, yeah, they are indeed prophetic because he's a prophet. That's what he does. He speaks things that will come as the Lord gives it to him. So he was speaking back in Jeremiah 31, in the verses we read in 31 through 34, he was speaking of a people and a time not yet come. The new covenant wasn't here yet. He was speaking that it's going to come. The Lord will be making a new covenant in a time to come. And he was talking about this time now, and he was talking about us. Because here now, we are living in the time of this new covenant. The new covenant was the promised comforter that we see in John chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. Jesus speaking here says, if ye love me, keep my commandments or covenants. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you yet another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world, the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you, ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will comfort you. Yet a little while, in verse 19, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live. Ye shall live also. And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Jesus here was referencing this day. The day of Pentecost, right? the day of Pentecost, which really is more than the day of, of, of Pentecost, really is the feast of Pentecost. But he was referencing this day. He was referencing now, again, this time, the promise is soon to come. So uh, on the day of Pentecost, this is when the new covenant was revealed, when he would write it on our hearts and put it in our inward parts was on the day of Pentecost. So to bring some context to uh, the Feast of Pentecost, I just want to look quickly, I want to look quickly at the seven Jewish feasts that were established, that were established in, in the Old Testament. And if you want to go back and look, because I'm not going to, I have a lot of scripture, but I'm not going to be able to go back and look at, we're not going to be able to read all of them, because there's a lot, I'm running out of time. But if you want to go back and reference them in Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 23, all the seven feasts are, are detailed there. But I really just want to just kind of touch them real quick and, 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 and make you aware of them so that we can, we can move on. just want to give a little bit of context for this morning. So first, though, in order to understand these feasts, we must first look at the three types of laws found in the Old Testament. The first law the moral law, and this law shows us the sinfulness of humanity and how we fall short of God's holiness, all right? So the moral law shows us the sinfulness of humanity and how we uh, fall short of God's holiness. Second law is civil law, and, and these regulations, these laws, they, they relate to the polity or the governing body of the nation of Israel. Right, so civil law relate, uh, relates to the governing body of Israel. And finally, ceremonial law is um, a shadow of what is to come. These, uh, these laws, they point, to, they point ahead to the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. So again, ceremonial law, shadow of what is to come. And each type of law points forward to Christ in a different way. The feasts of Israel are part of the ceremonial law pointing towards Jesus. And the Jewish people looked beyond themselves, and they looked towards the Messiah when they celebrated these feasts. The seven feasts or festivals, as they're also referred to, were to remind the Israelites each year of God's ongoing protection and his provision. Most importantly, they foreshadowed the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. 
Not only did they play significant roles in Christ's earthly ministry, but they also symbolized the complete redemptive story of Christ. Beginning with his death, with the first feast, the Passover, and ending with his second coming when he would dwell with his people forever. Concluding, excuse me, concluding with the Feast of Tabernacles. Concluding with the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, when you read Leviticus, the feasts are referred to as appointed times as, or, or holy convocations or simply gathering of large people. And people would indeed travel great distances to find themselves in Jerusalem at the time of the feast. Because these indeed were appointed times and ordained by God with much detail and much specificity. Uh, these times of celebration are important not only to Israel but also to the overall message of the Bible. Because each one foreshadows the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So again, real quickly, just to, just to touch on, on the seven. Again, if you want to go back later, uh, Leviticus chapter 23 really does go into greater detail. There's a lot more um, involved than what we're really going to get here. It's definitely literally like seven more Sundays to go through all the feasts, really, which we're not going to do that today. All right, so the first feast, the Passover. The Passover signified the uh, redemption of Israel. To celebrate the Passover, there would be uh, the slaying of uh, and eating of a lamb or kid Passover was all about remembering Israel's deliverance from death and the 10th plague. It was a reminder of redemption from sin. It was a time when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was offered as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It is on uh, this basis alone that God can justify the ungodly sinner. Thus, just as the blood of a lamb sprinkled on the doorposts of Jewish homes during the Passover, called the Spirit of the Lord to do what? To pass over their homes on the last plague. So these covered by the blood of the Lamb will escape the spiritual death and judgment God will visit upon all who reject him. And you find further reference here, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And that's, I'm not going to read that because that's a lengthy reading. So first we have the Passover feast. Then we move to the feast of the unleavened bread. And this signified the sanctification of Israel by eating the Passover sacrifice in a sacrificial meal. And this feast lasted seven days in which eating of bread with, um, with, with yeast is forbidden because the yeast is symbolic of sin. During this week, the Jewish people would remember how God redeemed Israel out of Egypt in haste and that they were called to be a holy people. And we read that with the covenant with, with Moses, the Mosaic covenant. These people would also be, uh, the people would also make designated daily offerings. And in the New Testament, I referenced it, uh, yeast is associated with evil or sin. And we find that 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Speaking of the yeast, purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So just as Israel was removed yeast from their bread, so are we are, we as Christians, to purge evil from our lives and live a new life of God, godliness and righteousness. Christ, as our Passover lamb, cleanses us from sin and from evil and by his power, and that by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are indeed freed from sin to leave our old lives behind, just as the Israelites did. Our third feast, the Feast of first fruits, is signified the resurrection of Israel as a free people, presenting a sheaf, the, 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 they would bundle the, the wheat stalks together, right? so presenting a sheaf of the first barley harvest as a wave offering, making a burnt offering and a grain offering, recognizing the redemption of the firstborn in Egypt and recognizing God's bounty in the promised land. And this took place at the beginning of the harvest, signifying Israel's gratitude and dependence on God. And I'll give you that, but I won't read it this morning, but Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 12. 
Then we move to the fourth feast, this, which is what we're celebrating today on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, also referred to as the Feast of the Harvest. And we know that it's 50 days after the Passover that this is celebrated. At, and celebrating also the end of the grain harvest, it was a festival of joy. And the offerings of this feast included the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And the primary focus of this focus was, in fact, to give gratitude and to show gratitude to God for this harvest. So we have the first four. We just read the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, your four spring feasts. We take a little break. The final three are the fall feasts, and the first of the three, the Feast of Trumpets, signify the calling of Israel to judgment. It is a sacred assembly and a day of rest commemorated with trumpet blasts and sacrifices. Israel presents itself before the Lord for his favor. Numbers chapter 29, beginning at verse 1. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, ye shall be an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. And the trumpet blasts were meant to signal that Israel was entering into a sacred season. The agriculture year was coming to a close, and there will be a reckoning with the sins of the people on the Day of Atonement. But this Feast of Trumpets also signifies Christ's second coming. Remember we said that these feasts are symbolic of some portion of God's life, his life, his death, his resurrection. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, we see trumpets again. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Our sixth feast, the Day of Atonement, signified the atonement of the covenant people and occurs just 10 days, 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets. And this is a day of rest, fasting, and sacrifices of atonement for priests and people. A day of rest, fasting, and sacrifices of atonement for priests and people in atonement for the tabernacles and altar. This feast cleansed people and priests and uh, king from their sins and purified the holy place in the temple. The day of atonement, atonement was the day of the high priest would go into the holy of holies in the temple and uh, make an offering for the sins of the people. And then finally, the seventh feast, we have the feast of tabernacles or booths. And this is the seventh and final feast in the Lord, and that took place five days after the Day of Atonement. And it signifies God's presence with his covenant people, children of Israel, and look forward to the coming of the Messiah. This was a week of celebration for the fruit harvest. For seven days, the Israelites presented offerings to God, during which time they lived in huts made from palm branches, include living in booths recalled the journey of the Israelites prior to their taking the land of Canaan. And again, I won't give you this one. I won't, we won't read this one, but I'll give it Leviticus chapter 23, verses 42 through 44. So we look quickly, we look quickly at the seven feasts. But our focus on this Pentecost Sunday, on this morning, is the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost. It's the Feast of Pentecost, where I mentioned before, that the new covenant was indeed first established. Everyone in Jerusalem gathered to celebrate the harvest, and this is the count that we read in Acts chapter 2. All right, so we'll go there now, Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, verse 3. And there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We read earlier, skipping down verse 39, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you uh, for the, in the name of, <laughs> and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. This promise, we talked about when we read back in John, the promise of the, the comforter. And we read back in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, the, this better covenant. This is what he was talking about here. This is what the whole we were building up to in the new covenant. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost 
is the promised covenant. That is the agreement. The Holy Ghost is the agreement and contract with us and God that he would be with us and he would be our God. Just like he told them in Jeremiah 31, verse 34. He would be their God and he would be their people. With this new covenant, I don't need my neighbor, right, to tell me who God is. And you don't need your neighbor to tell you who the Father is. Why? Because this thing is personal now. This new covenant is personal. It's directly between you and God. We don't need uh, the priest to intercede on our behalf in the temple. We don't need the priest to enter into the holies of holies. Why? Because now we can do that for ourselves. God wrote his name on our hearts when we did what? Surrendered our will to him. I don't need anyone to stand in my place. I don't need anyone to, um, to go to God for me. Because now I can do it the same way you can do it. If anyone wants to say to me, do you know the Lord? I, I, I say yes. Because I do. I personally know the Lord as my Savior. I know him. Not because of what someone's told me. Not because of what someone said. But it's revealed to me this new covenant is between me and with God personally. Because I am, as some of you are, we're filled with the Holy Ghost. We have the tongues to prove it. We have the fire to prove it. We have God on the inside of us that reveals it. That's sealed. And the new covenant, we talked about it, it's, 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 it's sealed. God seals it in his word. That can't be taken from us. It can't be removed from us. He's with us. He's dwelling with us forever. So when we looked at we looked at the feast, um, the feast of tabernacles, and, and the, the, for seven days, the, the people were living, living in those huts, all right? And, and it was to symbolize their, their journey uh, prior to, to Canaan. We don't have to build huts because God built his house inside of us. He's with us. We don't, we don't have to look to that anymore. All right? We can celebrate him with this new covenant. We can celebrate him with this new covenant. Very important, back when we read in Jeremiah, God said, the, the, Jeremiah said that the, the new covenant would be for everyone, from the least to the greatest. And that's what the Holy Ghost is. The Holy Ghost for everyone. We're paying to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's for everyone, and it's for all of us in this place right now. If you can hear my voice, it's for you. That Holy Ghost, that promised new covenant, is for you. God already said that, look, I, I've forgiven the iniquity, and I don't even remember the sin. That's the agreement with the new covenant. That's what's sealed forever. That's what's sealed forever. For, okay. So in the, in the, I mentioned that previous to the new covenant, we would need someone to stand on our behalf to go into the holies of holies. That day of atonement, the priest, right, they would make sacrifice to God for our sins. Well, well, we don't need that anymore. We don't need the priest to go into the tabernacle. We don't need the priest to go into the temple because we are the temple. We are the tabernacle. The high priest lives in us. He lives in us. We are the, the dwelling place. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to make spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are the spiritual house. We are the spiritual house. Right. Uh, if we move down a little further to verse 9 of chapter 2 in First Peter, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I don't need those priests anymore. I don't need them. I've got direct connection to God. A holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. I don't want to take it out of context too much because here it is talking about um, sexual uh, purity. But the Bible does say, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, What know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. 
You are not your own. We are the temple. We are the tabernacle. God dwells in us personally. One this is a one-on-one relationship here with the new covenant if we obey the word. We talked about obedience before, right? If we repent, right? If there's remission of sins, if we are baptized in his name, if there's evidence of tongues, right? If all of those, then yeah, then I enter into covenant. Then I enter into covenant with the Lord. And you can stand today as I come to a close this morning. Jeremiah was not the only prophet who spoke of the new covenant between God and man. We stay in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, and we're still during the Feast of Pentecost. Peter reminded everyone in attendance of the words of the prophet Joel when he said, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This new covenant is for you today. It's for me. All right? No one's excluded from this new covenant. God can write his name on all of our hearts. We can today, every single one of us, if we don't already have it, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We can be filled with his spirit. We can be under this new covenant, which is binding and forever with him. This being Pentecost Sunday, it's a perfect day. If you're standing here today in this place and you, you, you're hearing all this and you're, you're, you're saying, what is this thing? It's God's gift. It's his covenant. It's our connection to him. It's our promised cover, comforter. And you too, you too can be obedient to the word. And every one of us can walk out of this place today in covenant and under covenant and in agreement with God after receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why don't we go ahead and just uh, lift up. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.